I remember when I was a kid, you know, when I played, you know, when you would go outside and play, right? Remember those days? And me and my friends in the neighborhood would play tackle football. Any of the guys remember that? Playing tackle football in the field, you go up to the park, right? Choose up sides and you're going to play tackle football. Moms never liked this, by the way. Um, but you did. You played tackle football. Any of the girls here uh, play tackle football? Yeah, yeah, we got some tough girls. I knew we would um, have some takers on that. But anyways, we'd play tackle football. And there would inevitably come in the tackle football game a play where there was a discrepancy of some kind, a discrepancy as to whether or not it was a legal play, whether it was a fair play, whether it was in the field of play. There would, be, there would come a disagreement on whether or not the person actually caught the pass. No, you didn't catch it. Yes, I did. Yes, I, no, you didn't. Or some other dispute that would arise from the game. This would then result in a verbal disagreement of varying decibels each side would emphatically make their case as to why they, the way they saw it was correct. And it would usually only be resolved when someone would finally say, all right, do over. Right? Do over. Let's, let's just play that play over again. It's a do over. A do over is when you went back and ran the play as if the one that you were just arguing about never happened at all. It was a do over. Well, you grow up from playing tackle football on the field at the park, and I grew up and took up a little game called golf. Anybody play golf? Yeah, it's the, this game where you have these sticks, and you swing them at this little white ball, and you hit them, and, and it's, it's an interesting game. And so uh, I would play golf with some friends, and you know, you go out, you can, you can go out by yourself, but there's usually a group of guys that'll go out and, and you break it down into groups of four, right? It's a foursome. So you go out and you go out with your, your foursome and you go up to the tee box and it's always kind of a raised, elevated thing. So you walk up to the tee box and the first guy, it's his turn, he's going to go first. And he goes and he tees his ball up on the tee and, and he takes these practice swings that look really incredible. You know, it looks like a pro, you know, it looks like, wow, this guy's good. He's going to just crush it, you know, 300 yards down the center of the fairway. And sure enough, he approaches the ball, takes a swing and it goes about 50 yards, only sideways straight into the, the woods. And there is a remedy for this. When this happens in the game of golf, it's called a do over, right? And only in, in golf, you call it a mulligan. And what that means is you just act like that shot never happened and you tee another one up and you hope that on that second try that, that you do better. Outside of the playground, playing football, or the golf course, there are sometimes in life when you need a do-over. You need a do-over. You need a mulligan. You need, you need just to have that opportunity to kind of scratch that off and just start anew. Maybe things didn't go well in your talk with your spouse and you want to do over, right? <laughs> you want to do over. You know what I mean? If you've been married any longer than a couple of days, <laughs> once you make it past the honeymoon, it's like, hey, real life happens, right? Bills and all kinds of stuff. Maybe you took a job that wasn't the right fit. And you just need a do-over. Maybe you made some bad financial decisions. 
Maybe sin has just wreaked havoc in your life. Whatever it is, you just need a do-over. The world was in this same condition back in Genesis. Remember from our studies that the world had become completely corrupt. It was completely corrupted. In fact, the, the, the book of Genesis puts it this way. All flesh was corrupted. The people were corrupted. The sin of man combined with the effects and influence from the sin of the watchers, or as Peter refers to them, as the angels who sinned, mankind had become completely defiled and corrupt. All flesh was corrupted. And we have that kind of summary verse there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. I'll once again put it on the screen, and we've been going back to this because I think it's kind of a, a verse that you need to come back to and realize here's, here's this, this was the state of the world. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And if you were here for the night that Dr. Heiser was with us, he gave some explanation as to why that mankind and the evil had been just sped up to that degree and to where this would be the summary statement of the condition of the world. And so, looking at this, the earth needed a do-over. The animals needed a do-over. Man needed a do-over. And so God found a man, a righteous man, a just man, Noah, was his name, and he used Noah and his family to bring the earth to a do-over. Noah built the ark. The floodwaters came and destroyed the earth and every living thing, except that the animals in the ark and eight humans. Now they came off of the ark, and when they came off of the ark, remember we talked about how Noah worshiped God. He made sacrifice to God. He blessed God. He worshiped him. Now what? Can you imagine coming off the ark for that long? Remember, they were on the ark for a really long time. The, the, the floodwaters from above, the fountains of the great deep burst from, the, uh, from, from underneath, and, and the, the earth was destroyed. Can you imagine what it w w was like to, to come off the ark? Everything that they knew was changed, was gone. It, it, was, it was really a new earth in that sense. It was a new place because it was now a place that now things had to begin again. And this was kind of the do-over. And what God establishes from that moment forward is, we'll put it this way, a new world order. A new world order. He dealt with the condition of the earth that it was in, in Genesis 6-5, and now he's made everything new in that sense because he's dealt with it and he's bringing a new world order. It's in, in one way you could say it's the biggest of all do-overs, right? God establishes a new order for the world. This new world order, this do-over comes with two things. It comes with, if you're taking notes, it comes with a renewed mandate for mankind and it comes with a promise from God. From the establishment of this new world order, we can learn things about what God wants in our lives. So as we look at these things, you might say, well, this is all good and great for 4,500 years ago. What does it mean for my life today, tonight? Well, there's some things that we can learn about what God did and what God established in this particular chapter. So let me ask, let me put it to you this way. If you, if you need a do-over, no raising of any hands, but if you need a do-over, let's take a look 
at this do-over, this one, and see where God would speak to us concerning the situations that we are going through, perhaps even in our own lives. And so a renewed mandate for mankind. Let's pick it up in Genesis 9. Let's pick it up verse 1. It says this. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. And they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. What we see here in chapter nine of Genesis is really it's a, it's a renewed mandate for mankind. If you go back to the creation of man, you go back to Genesis one and two, we see that there was a mandate, right? There was a mandate for mankind when God made man and woman, male and female, and he made them in the image. And remember, we studied on the foundation of man, we talked about man being made in the image, but really kind of as the image. Remember, we talked about that, and it's, it's a powerful study there on the foundation of man, but as the image, as the image of God on the earth to have dominion. And so the, the context of us being made as the image comes with the mandate to rule and reign, to take dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and to take dominion over the earth. And so the status that is given to us as human beings made as the image of God comes with that mandate. Now, here the whole earth has been destroyed by water, the flood, and now Noah and his family are having to start over, to, to rebuild everything. And so where does God go? He comes back and he renews the mandate once again. He renews the mandate for mankind. Man was made and given a mandate to rule on the earth as God's imagers. And so here we see the renewal of man's mandate. And it begins with God's blessing. Look at that verse one there. It's important, and I want you to notice this. And it says, so God blessed Noah and his sons. And, and I think that's awesome. And I want you to kind of just read that and just get that into your, into your mind right now, into your spirit. That the beginning of this mandate, this renewal of the mandate, begins with God blessing man, blessing Noah. He, there was a blessing. Here God blesses Noah and his sons. Now, you and I here, as human beings, we, are, we have that same mandate. We have the same mandate that was given to Adam and Eve that was renewed here with Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, those eight. That, that mandate was renewed and we have that same mandate to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it, to rule and reign. We are, in that sense, God's image, imagers and so, it, but it first starts, and I think God 
you know, hey, God, God knows how to do things, right? He, he knows he, he's God. And if he does something, he, it's going to be the right way. And he starts with renewing the mandate with blessing. He blesses Noah and his sons. And God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. This, I think, is actually a statement of God's goodwill toward men. You'd think, well, wow, you know, God wiped everybody out and, you know, do we have to kind of just, you know, kind of make our way into this wilderness once again and try to figure life out? No, no, Noah, I, I, I bless you. I want to bless you and your wife and your sons and, and, and their wives. And, and I want to send you out with this renewed mandate, but I want to bless you. I want to bless you in that. It's a statement of God's goodwill towards man. And God has goodwill towards you. Amen? A lot of people think that God doesn't have goodwill towards them. In fact, there is this image of God, not the image of God, but this image, this picture that people have of God that is not a God of love, not a God that has goodwill towards men, but that, has, that is kind of an angry God, that is kind of a God, you know, up in the heavens, you know, looking down at, looking where he can kind of look down upon you and see what mischief you've gotten yourself into. And, and, and this is kind of the idea that a lot of people have. They don't think that God ha has goodwill towards them. Perhaps he's, he's angry, perhaps he's upset. People, you know, even the ancients used to think that like, you know, we, you know the storms would come and, you know, maybe the gods are angry or whatever. Perhaps he's just indifferent. You know, you don't know if he's loving or not, but it just seems like it doesn't matter because he's just completely indifferent to you. But actually, nothing could be further from the truth than any of those statements. God is love. By definition, the substance and essence of who he is is love, and he has goodwill towards you. He has goodwill towards you. And this is echoed again when Jesus comes. Remember the night that Jesus was born and the angels were seen by the shepherds on that field and they said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. God has goodwill. It's, it's, it's not just a, a thrift shop, amen? God has actual goodwill towards you. Yeah, I, I actually live behind a goodwill now. It's a newer one, thank God, but you know, anyways. In the previous chapter, Noah came off of the ark and he sacrificed to God and he worshiped God and he, he blessed God. The text actually says that he worshiped God, he blessed God. And here in the beginning of this chapter, chapter nine, we see where God blesses Noah. So Noah worships God, sacrifices to God, blesses God, and then we see that, that, Noah, that God blesses Noah. And this is exactly the truth that we proclaim that we come and we humble ourselves before God and we bless God and we love him and, 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 and we, we, we receive that salvation and then we see that he blesses us. And, 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 and then we go down a little bit further and we figure out, we have eyes to see and, and spiritual eyes to look back, 2020 vision to see, oh wait, it wasn't me that blessed God first, it was God that blessed us first from the beginning. Amen. You know, we were just responding in the way that we knew how to, to respond to the blessing of God that he was trying to pour out into our lives. We humbled ourselves and received the salvation, the love of grace of God. And then when we come and we say, you know, thank you, God, uh, I want to sacrifice to you. I want to surrender to you. 
Well, then he, he, he just keeps, he, he keeps the blessing rolling, amen? And we talk about that all the time. When we come, we come to bless the Lord and he just blesses us because God's not gonna be outdone on the blessing game, amen? And, um, and so he's, he blesses Noah and his sons and, and God blesses us. God bl- wants to bless you. The, the, the only question is, will you put yourself in the position of being blessed by God? That's the only question. A lot of people want to be blessed by God. I mean, if you went out and took a survey and said, who wants to be blessed by God? Well, there'd be the ones that would say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with God. You don't even want his blessing? No, I just don't want anything to do with God. Okay, there's that crowd. (laughs) And then there's like everyone else that for the most part would probably say, yeah, if indeed there is a God, I would like God to bless me. The question is, will you put yourself in that position where God can bless you? How's it happen? It only happens one way. If you humble yourself before God, if you humble yourself under the hand of the Almighty, He will lift you up. He opposes the proud, but He gives what? Grace to the humble. So if you humble yourself, you find yourself in that place where blessing begins to flow. And if you just follow the Lord and keep yourself in that place of humility, humbleness before God, You'll continue to be in that place of blessing. Now, next, this mandate proceeds into a renewal of the original mandate. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so here's the renewal of the mandate. It starts with blessing, and then it sounds like a repeat of the original one that we saw Back in Genesis 1 and 2, what is it? Man, this earth's going to need some filling. There's only eight of you now. So go out there and get busy. Uh, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Only this time we don't have just one couple, Adam and Eve. We've got four couples. Amen. Now Noah and his wife are kind of getting up there, but you know, hopefully the other sons are a little bit younger and the wives are a little bit younger and they can, you know, just get on with the project here of this mandate of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. Now, here's the point. God has a vision. God has a vision for the earth, and it's this, that it would be filled with his imagers. God has an image for this earth, and that that, here's it is, that that the earth would be filled with his imagers. When you get away from God's mandate for the earth, it quickly devolves into a satanic mandate. When you get away from the mandate, the mandate of God that says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. When you get away from that and this idea of filling the earth with the imagers of God, you get into what I have now called a satanic mandate. The satanic mandate is that man be few that man be centralized and controlled. That man would be few, that man would be centralized, not filling the earth, but gathered together and controlled. It's a satanic mandate. And we'll see this even more closely when we get to chapter 11. So just don't miss the next few weeks, the next couple of weeks, because when we get to chapter 11, it's going to be one of the pivotal chapters in the Bible, really. Chapters 11 and 12. But we also see it here. 
We see it in the mandate because when we see the mandate that God has for the earth, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, we see his heart for the earth, his vision for the earth in the mandate that the earth be filled with his imagers. A few years ago, I came across an interesting thing, and there's a lot of interesting stuff out there in the world. If you just shut yourself off to it and act like it's not weird out there, you can just you know, lit, have your own little bubble or whatever, but like when you begin to stick your head out of the ground and begin to look around at some things out there, it's really strange out there, and there's some really weird and strange stuff. And a few years ago, I came across this little old thing called the Georgia Guidestones. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any hands? Georgia Guidestones? Yep. Anyways, I've got a picture of them. Somebody erected this. It's out in the middle of nowhere. But if you go Google it right now, I tell everybody, if I'm saying something up here, just Google it and find out if I'm telling you the truth. I'm not trying to make stuff up here. But go ahead and Google it, Georgia Guidestones. And let me just tell you about the Georgia Guidestones just for a second. The Georgia Guidestones is a granite monument erected in 1980 in Elbert County, Georgia. And it has a set of 10 guidelines inscribed on the structure in eight modern languages. And a, sh and a shorter message is inscribed at the top of the structure in four ancient languages, Babylonian, Classical Greek, Sanskrit, and Egyptian hieroglyphics. This is the first of the 10 guidelines on the Georgia Guidestones. Put up the next slide. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. What? Yeah, th huh? Okay, this is... <laughs> Did I miss something? Was something funny or were we laughing at this? Okay. This is serious because... This is the first guideline, to maintain humanity under 500 million. So this is the, the powers that be, the men that sit in back rooms that control. I'm not talking about the wealthy, the people that live in million-dollar homes. I'm talking about the, the multi-billionaires that are on a different level that look down at the peasantry of the world and say, no, we've got to get this thing under control because this is way out of control. There's a satanic agenda to it all, and this is the first guideline to maintain humanity under 500 million. Now, I just did a little research on this. 500 million people would roughly be the, the present day population of North America. So if it's a little bit more than that, if you know, Google this and say, no, Charles, it really wasn't 500 million, it was 579 million. Okay, I know that. Um, <laughs> That's the population of North America right now. So just take the population of North America, add 79 million, and this, this, that's about it. So, so basically, the world would just be mostly this wide open space of, you know, I guess, balanced in perpetual nature, you know, balanced in, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, so this is, this is the kind of the satanic mandate. This is the, 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 the ideas of man. This is what, uh, you know, man in, in, in its thinking might think. But nonetheless, God has a plan. Yeah, you can take that down. Go ahead and roll that off of there. Um, God has his ideas, amen, for this world that he made. And you see that man's philosophies and ideas are not God's. So God said, multiply and 
Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now, we know a day that is coming where Christ will return, and there will be at that time, and we see it in the end of the book of Revelation, where we see this state of existence in the kingdom of, of God fully realized and established, where we have this, um, theologians have called it, in the last two chapters of Revelation, you see like the final state of 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 being in fully realized in the kingdom. Like we're in the kingdom right now. We've come into the kingdom. Jesus came to bring the kingdom, right? The first thing he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, the, you know, he came to bring the kingdom, but there is that time. If you read through the revelation that you see where it is fully realized and we're fully in the kingdom. We're literally in the kingdom with Christ, um, in, in that fully realized sense. And, until then, until then, you know, it's like there's this idea in, in um, the military. I've never been in the military, but I, I have friends that have been in the military. And I guess there's this idea in the military where if you don't know what to do, just keep doing the last thing that you were told to do, right? Is that, is that right? And there's, some, there's been some issues with that where they've lost communication, you know, with submarines and different things. And like, oh, you know, well, let's keep doing what we, the last command, the last command, keep going. And, and so we keep going with that. And we don't, we don't come up with our own ideas, visions that are, that are counteractive to um, God's plan, which is to fill the earth with his imagers. And he has got it under control. So we're called with this mandate to rule and reign, to, to take dominion, in the earth, in our lives, in the lives that God has given us. And in the places and positions and things, relationships that God has brought into our lives and that he will bring into our lives. So wherever we go, wherever we step, step set our feet, whatever relationship we, we find ourselves in, whatever location geographically we find ourselves in, in that exact place, exact, that exact time, we're called to rule and reign with Christ. You say, well, no, wait, isn't that for the millennium? We're going to rule and reign with Christ in the, in the future. No, no, no. We're, we're to rule and reign as his imagers right now. You're, you're, you're a priest and a king, Christian. You've been, you, you are a royal priesthood of all believers. You are a priest and a king, and God has done this when he brought you into the kingdom. And he's given you a life to, to rule and reign and to continue forth in that mandate that he has given man. And so the question is really, are you ruling and reigning well in the place that you were in, in the location that you're in, in the position that you're in, in the relationships that you're in, are you ruling and reigning well? Now, not, a, not as a tyrant, but as a godly king, right? Representing the king and the kingdom. That's how we're to rule and reign. Not as the world rules and reigns, but as God instructs us to rule and reign in his word, amen? Being servants, being proper stewards over the things in our lives. These are all biblical principles. These are all biblical things that we're called and we're called to do them well. And we're called, them to, we're called to do them as a proper steward. 
And so are you reigning under God's reign with the peace of God? Do you have peace in your life? If you look at your reign, your, your little kingdom, if you will, your little world, do you have peace in that world? Do you have love in that world? Do you have the grace of God in that world? What's going on in that world where God has placed you as his imager and his representative? What's going on? You say, well, I need a do-over. <laughs> well, good. You've come to the right place. You've come to the God of second chances and third chances and four chances, and he, 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 gives, he gives some chances. Amen? And he'll give you a do-over. You look at your life and you take inventory of everything that I've said so far, and you say, wow, Charles, I, I need a do-over. God will give you a do-over. You just come, humble yourself before him, surrender yourself fully to him, and God's going to give you a fresh start. Begin to fully apply the things that you're learning in the word. Begin to add the, the, the fruits of the spirit in your life, the love of Christ, the love of God in your life. And you say, you know, I don't know where to start. Start with the love of God. Be filled with the spirit and be filled with the love of God and just let the love of God begin to flow out of you. The love of God, the fruit of the spirit of love, joy. And on and on and on. And see where that leads in your life. Amen? You know, people come, we come up to uh, New Year's Eve every year, you know? And people are like, oh, good, New Year's Eve. Now, this next year is going to be a whole new year for me. You know, I'm turning over a whole new leaf. You know, we're, we're putting, putting that year behind. It's so funny because they'll interview people out there like on Times Square, you know, and they're like, how was, how was this past year for you? Well, I'm really looking forward to this year being over. It was terrible. I'm really got great, great things, you know, and I'm looking forward to the new year because it's going to be a whole new thing for me. And then they'll ask somebody else, how, how was the last year? Oh, it's great. I just want to keep it rolling. So you get all this, this mixed thing. Good, get great. We don't have to wait till New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, to get a fresh start. In Christ, we can have it right now. You know, because, you know, nothing really changes on January 1st. Have you ever noticed that? <clears throat> nothing changes. I think that's in a song somewhere. Amen? You U2 fans. Yeah, that's a U2 reference for you guys, for my kids. They'll go, good job, Dad, good job. Yeah, keeping it relevant. Okay, how are we doing on time? The next section, you say, what? The next section, aren't we done? <laughs> <laughs> the next section talks about where God renews the mandate where, in terms of where the animals are concerned. And, and, and the animals in terms of their dominion under the, under the dominion of man. If you look at it, Picking up at verse 2. Actually, that wasn't the next section. That's the next verse. <laughs> and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, 
and all the fish of the sea, and they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and I've given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So what God does here is he establishes and renews some things as it pertains to the animals. So, so there are some new things here. And the animals would, we're told here, live in the fear of man. And really, this is threefold. I think there's three, three ideas here of this fear. And when you say fear, it could be a fear like a, a fear of danger, but that also there's a biblical idea of fear of just kind of like, oh, you know, like, like the kind of the fear like that we have of God. We're not to be like scared shaking in our boots with God, but we are to have a fear of God, a reverence for God and who he is. And that's literally the beginning of all wisdom is to have that type of fear. And so there's a, a fear of man in that sense that's threefold with the animals going forward in this new world order. There would be that aspect where animals are afraid of you and, 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 you know, and run when they see you. And, and most animals will do that, right? Now, you, you've all been in a situation where you've been, you know, with an animal, there's some, I don't know if it's a, somewhere where you come upon an animal and, 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 and you're scared. Oh, look, there's a, there's a, you know, whatever it is, right? And then somebody that's really thinks they're, they're, they're the great, you know, animal lover, you know, and they're like, oh, don't worry. They're afraid of you. They're afraid of you. you know, no, 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 no. I'm afraid of it. Okay. You don't understand. No, no, no. They're afraid of you. This is true, you know, for the most part across the board, except for like when it comes to like great white sharks. Okay. <laughs> Although there are some crazy guys, you can go on the internet right now and see these crazy people, you know, that are down there in South Africa, right? They're swimming around the, with the great whites. And I'm going, these guys are nuts. There's no cage or anything. And they're just, you know, they're the, what was that guy down there in Australia? The crazy guy that died. And, yeah. What? Steve Irwin? Yeah. They're the Steve Irwin of like, of the ocean. <sighs> so yeah, so there is that aspect. Then, then the animals would have a, a fear, really a, really a reverence. And, and what do you mean by this? There, there would be that aspect where, where animals would come under the, the direction of their master. You know, and this is true. And I'm, I'm speaking to, you know, out of my area here. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a person that, like, you know, an, kind of an animal type person, really. I mean, I like looking at animals at the zoo, you know, in their, hap, you know, their little habitats. I have my habitat at my house that, you know, I have my habitat. They have their habitat, you know. But there is that aspect where, you know, people... Talk, speak of like, you know, dogs and things, being man's best friend. And, I, you know, Chris and David aren't here tonight, but they'll make the message here. Uh, you know, they have a couple little dogs. And, you know, everyone's trying to get me to get a dog. And I just, I don't, you know, like I said, I have my habitat. <clears throat> I have my habitat and, and everything. But when I go to see my, my brother and sister over at their house, you know, the dogs come running. And one of the dogs is named Molly. And she... 
And she comes and she barks all over you and she jumps and jumps and you just got to pet, pet her, settle down. And she just loves to, you know, be loved and, and all that stuff. And, and I think there's that aspect of, you know, and you're out there training your dog, you know, go fetch, go fetch the stick. Now, really where this gets into is when you get into the area of like what they call a beast of burden, where you have animals that literally help man actually do work. Um, you know, you have the, the cattle, you have the oxen. You know, they, somewhere along the line, they learn how to take a couple of oxen and yoke them up together and put a piece of metal strapped to the rope or something and, and plow the fields. And so now the animals are now helping man work the ground and, and, and all that good stuff. Horses. This is another area where you see an amazing aspect where you have this awesome animal, this animal of, a, of, of tremendous power and all this, and that yet we can train them to, you know, be ridden and just kind of trot around the field, right? And we can train them to, you know, to run and do jumps and, you know, if you, if, you know the, with the equestrian and all this. There was one commentator, and it's a little bit of an older commentary, but this commentator said this about this. Did, did the horse know his own strength and the weakness of the miserable wretch who mercifully rides, drives, whips, goads, and oppresses him? Would he not with one stroke of his foot destroy his tyrant possessor? But while God hides these things from him, he impresses his mind with that fear of his owner, so that he is trained up for and employed in the most useful and important purposes. So that's some interesting stuff that we see. Now, I think there's one more area here. It's where the animals would be, God says, they're, they're food for you. You know, I, I, I give you the, the, the animals for food. You know, the things that creep and, on the earth and... And the animals, just, he says, just as the, the herbs, of the feed, just like the salad, you know, you can have some steak with your salad now, okay, is what I'm saying. This is what God's saying, okay? This is the beginning of Longhorns Steakhouse. So, but we've got to be careful in this area too, right? Because we're not to you know, just wantonly take lives, even of animals, you know. It, it, our role in this dominion that we have is that we're, we're proper kings and princes in that sense. We're not tyrants. One commentator says this, speaking of man's relationship and dominion over the animals. He says, they must be lords, but not tyrants. They might kill them for their profit or benefit, but not torment them for their pleasure. So that's why we have laws, you know, like, you know, like dog fighting laws and, and you know, th this type of stuff. For, for, you know, for, we're not to mistreat, you know, God's creation in that sense. Now, the next part, God moves on and he transitions from the idea of the animals and the mandate there into this mandate involving all of mankind. But he segues 
from this idea of eating meat, the eating of food. And he says, you shall not eat the meat with the life in it. That is the blood. So there, this was the restriction as far as the, the, the meat and food was concerned. It was not to have the blood in it because we learn later in Leviticus that the life is in the blood. And so there's this connection really, and you need to see this, and this is the beginning of it. Remember I said Genesis, the foundation of everything. So when you get to Leviticus and God's saying all this stuff in Leviticus, no, it was first laid down here in Genesis, okay? So when you get to what Jesus did for us on the cross and the atoning work that he did with his blood sprinkling as the high priest, his life, the life is in the blood, it's first back here. The life is in the blood. You shall not eat the life, the animal with the life in it that is the blood, okay? So he segues from that into this idea of the value of all human life. And, and so we have this aspect, an emphasis on the value of life and this explanation of the prohibition on murder. I will say this in regards to this area. To be operating in God's vision and God's blessing, we must have his value for human life, of human life. To be operating in God's vision and God's blessing, we must have his value of human life. And God states it here, the blood of your lives I will require of you. The blood of your lives I will require of you. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. That's the way it says in the New King James. And you read right over that and we're like, ah, I don't know what that means. Let's move on to the next verse. Let me tell you what it means. It's important. It means that God has put life in you. He's put blood in you. And your life is in this blood. If you cut your wrist right now and let your blood seep out, you're dead. In about a few, couple, any doctors in here? Like a couple of minutes, right? I mean, it's, you're done. Okay, the life is in the blood. And so what God is saying is here, from your life, I will, I will demand a reckoning of your life blood. The, the blood of your lives, I will require of you a reckoning of. In other words, you must give an account for your life. You were given a life. Whether you realize it or not, whether you were a person that was planned, mom and dad said, hey, let's have a baby. Or you were someone else, anyone else, the product of a rape or whatever. That person was given a life by the way God set it up. And that life is of absolute value to God and there's a reckoning that will take place. The blood of your lives I will require of you. We are not allowed to destroy our own lives without consequence. And the blood of our lives will be required a reckoning. A reckoning for the physical aspect of our life. In that sense. Because we were given a physical life. But we were given more than a physical life. So for the Christian in the same way that there was this reckoning of the lifeblood that God gave you, there's another reckoning for the Christian. How so? We've been bought with the blood of Christ. Mary Jo actually referenced this in Philippians. I'm not going to reference that, but it's interesting how the Holy Spirit works in what he wants to teach us. We've been bought with the blood of Christ, the lifeblood of the Son of God. And so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, and you are not your own, 
for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What, what he's saying here, and we don't have time to get into the context here, and what Paul is saying to the Philippians in the verse that Mary Jo referenced and what he's saying here in Corinthians is this idea that we were bought at a price. That we, we were literally purchased with blood. The, the verse she talked about was that we weren't bought with silver or gold. We weren't bought with temporal things. We were literally bought with the, blood, the lifeblood of Christ. And so we're not our own, and we've got to give an account for that then. So as Christians, our lives have been bought with the life of Jesus. Let that sink in. <laughs> our lives have been bought with the very life of Jesus. We've been bought at a price. So this goes a couple different ways here for the, the believer. First, having a personal understanding of the high price and exactly what the price is that my life has been purchased by. That is the blood of Christ. Literally, literally having that understanding in our lives as believers. Wow, I, I was literally purchased with the lifeblood of Christ. Second, fellow Christians have also been bought at the same price. Amen? And so... It's important that we treat, our, treat each other well in, in God's house. That we, that, we, that we don't mistreat each other. That there's not slandering and backbiting and, and things going on. In, in our families, in the churches, in, in the fellowship, it's important that this stuff doesn't go on. Why? Because that fellow believer was also purchased with the lifeblood of Christ. Third. There are those that have yet to make a decision to follow Christ. For whatever reason, they haven't come to that point yet. Their sins have been paid for too. Their life has been purchased. Now, whether that transaction actually takes place and whether it's completely according to the divine sovereignty of God and, or if man has a choice and we're not getting into the, the free will and sovereignty debate here, okay? But there's a time that as of yet they haven't come to, but they, there are people that will come to the point of salvation. Before they get to that point, there's still a person that their sins have been bought and paid for. Their sins have been covered. They just need to receive the free gift. You see, when you, when you got saved, the, when you got saved, we live in the, we were born in the 20th century, most everyone in this room, okay? Jesus died 2,000 years ago. So the, the price was already paid, your salvation had been purchased. What you did was you came into the salvation that you had by accepting Christ and humbling yourself before God. And God breathed into you a new life. But the, per the price had already been paid. The sacrifice had already been made. And so those who haven't received Christ yet, they are also people who potentially have been purchased by the blood of Christ. So it's very important in terms of how we conduct ourselves. It's important, it's an imperative that we treat each other with the dignity that is due to the life of Jesus. That's profound, and that'll sink in tomorrow <laughs> for you. that we treat each other with the dignity of the life of Jesus because it is the, the very life of Jesus that purchased our salvation. So God goes on and he actually 
gives the grounds for capital punishment here. If you take another man's life, your life will be required. Now, when you get into Leviticus, well, actually Deuteronomy, you find the law of witnesses in Deuteronomy 19, where in order to enact a capital punishment, in order to get to that point of administering a capital punishment based on a capital crime, there had to, there had to be two or three witnesses. This is very important. It's called the law of witnesses in Deuteronomy 19. Very important. But here is the groundwork laid, the provision given for a capital punishment for what is a capital crime, namely murder, that is to be differentiated from killing. There's a difference between killing and murder. It's two different words in the Hebrew, okay? The Bible makes a distinction between killing and murder. Not, not all killing is murder because there are cases where there is a just cause for killing self-defense, capital punishment with the due process of law. So when the, when the state... See, the argument against capital punishment... Here's the argument against capital punishment. Okay, and not to get into political politics, whatever. No, this is the word of God. Okay? So you're going to argue out here in the political arena and have it been carry banners and whatever. First, understand the principle. Okay? The case against capital punishment is that you're taking a life. No. The groundwork laid in the Bible for a capital crime. If you take a life, your life would be required of you. And there was a procedure and a way to do that. And the person and the people that would administer that would be the civil authority that Paul says in Romans 13, our God's servant to administer justice in that very situation, to wield the sword against the evildoer. So you have to look at this with an understanding and not in platitudes and twi Twitter tweets, okay? But understanding what the real argument is, that there's the groundwork laid for this type of thing. Now, if you're sitting here and you're going, oh, well, I'm against capital punishment. Okay, <clears throat> you know, that's fine. And we can, you know, well, I guess we'll all discuss it with the Lord when, <laughs> you know, whatever, at that proper time. But please understand, most people that make a case for it don't, I've never heard them actually present the actual understanding of this and making distinction between a civil government wielding the sword in that sense and, and a, um, you know, so there is, an, there is an extreme over here. There is an extreme over here that would be a completely pacifist situation that would say, just come into my house and shoot us all dead and whatever, and we're not going to defend ourselves. Okay, there are people that are way out there on that, on that mark, okay? And then there's people out, way out over here, and let's, no, I think it's, a, it's, a, I think it's narrow. I think you can look at it, when you look at it from God's perspective, there's a, there's kind of, there is, there is a, there is an administration of a, of, a, of a justice that I think is according to God's, God's goodness and God's plan for mankind. And what it does simultaneously is that it upholds the value of life. You say, well, no, because it's taking... No, 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 no. Look at the words of God here. Look at the words of God. Let's read them again. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, 
He made man. Amen? So <clears throat> I had this thought before, the, before tonight. I said, you know, because we've all had moments where we, you know, we don't understand God. You know, right? We've all had these moments where, God, I don't understand you. I don't understand your ways. I don't understand, you know, and, and maybe, you know, you've prayed for God to work in a situation and he's just not answering it in that way. And you're like, where are you, God? Where are you, God? I think when we get to heaven and we get face to face with Jesus, wow, we're going to be amazed. We're going to be amazed at this God that we serve that is absolute love absolute grace and mercy, absolute justice and holiness. And we're just going to, what, what was that thing? What was that thing I wanted to say? Oh, no. No. I understand who you are. I understand who you are. You're the God. You're the Lord of lords. You're the God of creation. You're, you're, you're the the Alpha and the Omega, the one who sees the beginning and the end. It is humbling to think about that. Now, we're out of time. And um, do, we, ha do we, ha we have a couple more minutes just to, just to look at this last little section? I mean, anybody trying to get to a movie or something? No, there's nothing. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> Wonder Woman and all this and, the, you know, this island where all these women live that are going to defend the world. Let's talk about what God did to defend the world. <laughs> uh, you, you that haven't seen it yet, you're going, what? What's he talking about? Um, let's just, let's just, let's just, are you guys still with me? Yes. Who's still with me? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's end it off. Who wants to go home and eat pizza? <laughs> okay. God's promise. So here we have the renewal of the mandate, right? This new world order. But then we have God's promise. And let's read through this real quick. And, and this won't be long, actually. Pick it up, verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons. With him saying, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said this, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God's promise, God's covenant. 
God, so God, so after this, after he wiped the slate clean, he, we have this do-over, so to speak. We have the renewal of the mandate for mankind. Then God steps in. He says, okay, now I, I make a covenant with you. I make a promise. I make a covenant. This covenant was made with mankind for perpetual generations and even with the animals and all the earth. At one point he says, and to the earth, Right? God promised he would never again destroy all with a flood or cover the earth with a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, this isn't any way to be seen as a repentance for what he did. God is completely just. And God would be just to destroy us all right now, right? God would be just to destroy everything and start all over anytime he wants because we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But, that's, but, but not only is he just, he's unbelievably loving and merciful and graceful. And you say, well, how can, that, how can those two tensions exist in one person? It's called something that he did on the cross. Where the justice of God was satisfied, the love of God was poured out for all mankind in the most incredible moment on the face of the earth. When a, when a just God loved all humanity and was merciful and graceful all at the same time. So, he makes the covenant with mankind and the earth and the animals and everybody. And he says, I, I'm, and, and here's really what it is. I'm not going to let, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to let these exact things be duplicated again. What happened at Hermon, what happened on Mount Hermon in Genesis 6, what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve in the Nakash and the eating of the forbidden fruit, what happened in the garden in Genesis 3, what happened on Hermon in Genesis 6, what happened, that brought us to the flood, okay? This series and confluence of events, okay, this, we're not going to let this happen. Now, things are going to go a certain way. From this moment forward, Jesus talked about a time in the end where it will become like the days of Noah, once again. But not in the exact way, in the exact, it'll be, it'll be a whole new thing. And there's, there's crazy, remember I said crazy stuff, and we talk about the Georgia Guidestones? There's all kinds of crazy genetic things happening right now. In fact, there are, there are serious people that believe that they've already done genetic experimentation with, you know, remember a few years ago when, um, they had the cover of Time magazine. You had Dolly the sheep. Remember when they cloned the sheep? They cloned the first sheep and Dolly the sheep, right? And then what happened to it? You haven't heard anything about that for a decade or more. Why? Because behind closed doors in laboratories on coasts all over the world, there's some crazy stuff going on, okay? So we're heading back to that point, the days of Noah, Jesus said, the end will be as in the days of Noah, right? You read the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. But he said, I, in, in, in our text tonight, he says, I will never again destroy the earth with water. So he's going to deal with, when, 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 we, when we're back to that point of the days of Noah in the future, you say, the days of Noah, that was 4,500. No, we're, head, we're heading back. 
We're heading back. Jesus says, in the end, it will be as in the, day, as the days of Noah. All right, when we get back to that point, there, there, there's not going to be a flood. Jesus himself is going to literally do battle on our behalf in this whole thing. He's coming, right? Read your Bibles. He's coming again in the clouds with, with, a, with, an iron, with a rod of iron, a scepter, to strike the nations. Well, which, that doesn't sound very godly. Well, no, he's coming against the satanic mandate that is being perpetrated on, the, on, on mankind. And we just read it in a Georgia Guidestones. And if we had time and you wanted to get into it, we could get into all kinds of stuff that's being said and document it and put it up on the screen so that we can get in our hearts and minds what's really happening on this earth. But when it gets to that point that we're all the way back, and I don't know how long it is, it could be in a month, it could be next year, it could be in 10 years, it could be in 100 years. I don't know. You know? One guy said he was a pan-millennialist, right? You say, what's that? It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> but seriously, but seriously, there is coming a time when Jesus himself is coming in the clouds with a rod of iron. And look at here, here it is. Revelation 19, 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So, there's going to be some interesting stuff. You know, when God comes back with that moment of justice, you know, right now is that time where you're like, get on the ark. Repent. Repent. Get on the ark. His name is Jesus Christ. Accept him. You get a ticket to ride on the ark of Jesus Christ. Amen? And guess what? It's free. All you have to do is give your whole life. Amen? Amen. But he said he'll never deluge the earth and destroy the earth. Now, real quick, we're almost done. The rainbow. We'll wrap it up with the rainbow, okay? We'll wrap it up with the rainbow. Now, the rainbow, he, set, he made a covenant, and he set the reminder of the covenant. He made the covenant. The covenant is not the reminder. The reminder is not the covenant. The reminder is the reminder of the covenant. He set his bow in the cloud. Now, the commentators differ on this a little bit. Did he create the rainbow? Did he, did he do something with the physical aspects of the creation and create the, the physical thing happened that now a rainbow happens when there's a cloud and a light beam and a source and a light, whatever. And so that at that moment, or was that already something that was possible and he's just setting it aside as a reminder of the covenant? I tend to believe the latter. I tend to believe that there were already the physical properties of what makes a rainbow. And there was already a thing called a rainbow and that he is setting aside the rainbow as the reminder of the now covenant, the Noahic covenant that he's making with with man and all the earth. A rainbow is a meteorological phenomenon that is caused by a reflection, refraction, dispersion of light in water droplets resulting in a spectrum of light appearing in the sky. 
And God said, the rainbow will be in the cloud and I will look on it and remember the covenant between God and every living creature. So when you see the cloud, when you see the rainbow, God sees the rainbow, right? When you see a rainbow, just know right then, God's also witnessing the rainbow with you. So when, he, when you see the rainbow, God is looking upon the rainbow and he's also remembering the everlasting covenant that he made with his creation. Now there are two places that I've been, there's probably more, but two places that I can speak by experience that there, there seems to be like perpetual rainbows, like all the time, rainbows all the time. Okay. One is Hawaii, right? Hawaii is like, if you go to Hawaii, uh, it's paradise, right? I mean, it's a great place. So you go to Hawaii, go ahead and put this, come on, stay with me back there. All right. Hawaii, right? You go there and there's, you're walking and it's like broad daylight, but there's got to be some mist or something going on because there's a rainbow and it's beautiful. And what is this place? It's paradise on earth. It's a rainbow. And then there's another place that I've been to. I've been to Hawaii. I actually took a, I, we were on Waikiki. This was many years ago. We were on Waikiki and I'm looking and the sun's shining and this rainbow just like that is coming down, arcing down. I should have brought my own picture because I have this picture. And, and you're like, how is it? What, what's going on here? This is wild. There's another place, Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, because you have, a, you have this perpetual mist that rises up as a million gallons of water go over the precipice of the, of the Niagara Cliffs there, the, the, into the gorge, the rocks on, on the end create this mist. The water pounds and the mist comes up and there's a perpetual mist. So if you go to Niagara Falls, you gotta get on this boat, it's called Maid of the Mist. How many have ridden the Maid of the Mist? Yeah, fun stuff, right? You put on your jacket and your whatever. And the other thing you gotta do is you go, if you wanna schedule a trip to Niagara Falls, okay, trust me, because I used to live like, I used to live in Niagara Falls. And um, you go to Cave of the Winds. Cave of the Winds, go up to Niagara Falls, go to Cave of the Winds. They'll outfit you in a slicker with little booties and everything. And there's a, there's a boardwalk that they install and you can literally walk up right underneath the falls. And there's a deck up there, there's the main deck and then there's another deck that they have, it's called the Hurricane Deck. Okay, and we know a little bit about hurricanes down here in Florida, but if you want, you can go up to the hurricane deck and you can just get pounded by Niagara Falls. It's fun stuff. But so there's always a rainbow at Niagara Falls because you have this, this mist all the time. Do I have, I have another pick of, and sometimes there's multiple, just, there's all, it's, it's, it's rainbows everywhere. Okay, so this is the Horseshoe Falls. This is half of this is in America. The other half, this half closer to you is actually the Canadian side. So there's, there's just all this stuff. And so there's a bridge that goes across this gorge. They named that bridge the Rainbow Bridge. It's literally called the Rainbow Bridge because when you go over that bridge, chances are you're gonna probably be seeing a rainbow. When you go over this bridge, now everyone's gonna be scheduling a trip, either, either to Hawaii or Niagara Falls, okay? So just let me know when you're going and I'll go with you, amen? <laughs> um, when you go across the bridge, there's, there's literally these stone monuments on either side of the bridge. And if you're going 
over at a time when there's, it's backed up traffic, you end up sitting there reading all this stuff, especially when you're backed up and you're directly, your car is actually split in two, like half your car's in Canada and the other half is still, you know, kids, you're still in the United States, we're in Canada, you know, and, um, and all that fun stuff. But no, on this stone is literally, they engraved in the stone this part of Genesis 9. You can sit there and read it while you're trying to go through customs into Canada. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. The, the Canada, has, you know, this is neat, right? So you can sit there and read Genesis 9 in this passage that we've read tonight. Never again will I flood the earth. Now, okay, you can take that down because that's, oh, I wanted to mention one more thing. I'm going long. I should never go away on these conferences. <laughs> Because then you come back and you're like, ah, I gotta preach. All right. You gotta look this up though on, on YouTube. I saw this a few years ago. There's a guy on YouTube that we found this video. I know a friend of, friend of mine found this video. He said, Charles, go on YouTube. You gotta look at this video. If you find it on, on YouTube, I don't know how many millions of views this thing has. I mean, it's probably got 15, 20 million views. But, anyways, there's this guy that lives in Yosemite. And he sounds like he's either really joyful or he's like high on pot. But he walks out onto his porch and he's videotaping this and it's like this massive double rainbow right on the end of his porch and he's in Yosemite, right? And he's just going, oh my goodness, it's amazing, it's so beautiful. What does it mean? And he's literally crying. He's crying and he, and he keeps on saying, what does it mean? And, and me, like the good preacher, is like, I'll tell you what it means. <laughs> you want to know what it means? I'll tell you what it means. You turn to Genesis chapter 9, I'll tell you what it means. It means God's, God, when I look up on the rainbow I've set in the cloud, I will remember the everlasting covenant, my promise that I've made. Now I'll wrap it up with this. There's the, no, the Noahic covenant. There's a pattern in scripture. Now I want you to, Stay with me, because I know I've probably lost. How many of you have I lost? Raise your hand. I see that hand. <laughs> oh, no, you were just scratching your ear. Okay, you're still with me. Okay, there's a pattern in Scripture. God says, when I see, when I look upon the rainbow, I will remember the covenant. There's a pattern and a connection that God looks at stuff and identifies something in which he sees. I will look at the rainbow and I will remember my covenant. Fast forward into Exodus. The Israelites are getting ready to be released from Egyptian bondage. They're told to take a lamb into their family and to kill it and eat it at twilight, roast it in the fire, and take the blood of that lamb and put it upon the doorposts of their house. And in that instruction, it says, when I see, what? When I see the blood, I will pass over. When I see the rainbow, I will remember the everlasting God. When I see the blood, Israelites, from your lamb, on the doorpost of your house, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And then Jesus Christ went to a cross where he became what that lamb that they took on that night signified. Paul said it this way, I am, he is our Passover lamb. 
What we do when we come into the new covenant of Christ is we literally, the blood of Christ is placed upon the doorposts of our life. The blood of Christ is sprinkled upon our life. The life of Christ, the lifeblood of Christ is sprinkled upon our life and our life is brought from deadness to life. And when God looks at you, Christian, when he looks at you as he looks at the rainbow, he sees the life of Jesus because your life has been traded your life that fell short of the glory was traded in the greatest deal that you have ever made. When you handed him your broken life, the ashes of your life, and he gave you the beauty of holiness in Christ. And when he sees you, Christian, he sees the life of Jesus. Now, that is some awesome stuff. That's the new covenant. Jesus said, it's a new covenant in what? In my blood. It's a new covenant in my blood. So we've come into the new covenant. So in this world, new world order, there is one thing that is most important. Get under the blood of Jesus Christ. Get in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to do that. Just humble yourself before Christ. Right now. Right now. Confess him as Lord of your life and completely surrender to him. 